Well, hello everyone. This is Cameron, and we are continuing through our devotional series through the book of 3 John now. We have just a couple more devotionals for you before we wrap up the book. Today we are going to get to hear from Scott Whitley. If you don't know Scott, uh, he and his wife Sarah have been around the church for several years. Um, They've led community groups, served in various ways, Um, and it is a real honor and privilege to get to hear from Scott. So without further ado, here is Scott Whitley. Hey, Door of Hope. Um, It's a privilege to be opening the word together with you today. Um, In the words of John, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For those of you that I haven't met yet, my name is Scott Whitley and my wonderful wife Sarah and I have been at Door of Hope for almost six years. We've really missed seeing all of you these past few months and we can't wait to meet those of you that we haven't met yet and also see so many of you that we've gotten to know over the years. I also wanted to say a quick thank you to so many of you, Cameron included, who have contributed to these podcasts. It's really been such a gift to be able to hear from everyone um, these past few months. So today I'll be covering verses 9 and 10 in 3 John. And when Cameron asked me to record my reflection on these two verses, honestly, my first thought was, how in the world am I going to fill 10 minutes of time on just two verses? But as I read through the passage more and studied it just a little bit, I was reminded of what a gift God's word is and how it's oftentimes for me something that only becomes more valuable and fruitful the longer that I sort of soak in it and study it. And that's definitely been my experience with this passage, and I hope you get a taste of it in the next few minutes that we have together. So I'll go ahead and read verses 9 and 10 in a second, but just for a quick recap of where we're at in 3 John so far. John is writing this letter to a person named Gaius, and thus far, in the very beginning of the letter, he's let Gaius know how much joy he had over hearing a report from some other believers, seemingly some traveling missionaries or evangelists, that Gaius was walking in the truth. He shared the beautiful line that he has no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. And next, in verses 5-8, through he applauded Gaius for extending hospitality to these people who have gone out for the sake of the name. And he essentially tells Gaius to keep it up. That by doing so, Gaius, and by extension, us, we actually share in the Great Commission and we become fellow workers for the truth, along with these missionaries who have gone out for the sake of the name. So now, we enter into verses 9 and 10. I'll read them now, and then we'll just sort of walk through them together, and I'll point out a few things that I think will help us understand the passage and will be fruitful for us. So, verses 9 and 10, here we go. I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us, and not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. So I'll start with some observations on verse 9, then we'll jump over to verse 10, um, and then kind of wrap things up. So first, in in verse 9, we notice here that John references a past letter that was seemingly addressed to a church, but was disregarded by Diotrephes. So both commentators that I read um, on this passage, John Stott and Colin Cruz, don't believe this letter to be 1 John or 2 John, since neither of those letters seem to recommend or request hospitality for these people that John is talking about now. So it's likely here that John is referring to a different letter that is now lost. And the first thing that you may notice um, as you read this passage about Diotrephes is that he seems to be almost entirely different from Gaius. As Stott points out, Gaius is portrayed as one, walking in the truth, two, loving the brothers, and three, entertaining strangers. 
In contrast, Diotrephes is portrayed as one, loving himself more than others, two, refusing to welcome these traveling missionaries evangelists, three, refusing to let others do so, and four, even putting out uh, those who do extend this hospitality, he's putting them out of the church. Cruz points out that the phrase that John uses in describing Diotrephes as loving to be first has the Greek root word protos in it, which is actually used in many other places in the New Testament, and it refers to leading persons. So by using this, this word, John is implying that Diotrephes loves to be the leader and to exercise authority. And it seems to, to me to be highly possible that Diotrephes was even in a position of leadership in his church community. Now we know that loving to be first is problematic for several reasons. This is clear that Diotrephes does not share the Father's purpose that in all things Jesus should be preeminent. I think about Colossians 1 verse 18 where we read, And he, Jesus, is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. By loving to be first and placing himself first, Diotrephes is ignoring um, the call that this verse has upon the church. We also can see that Diotrephes doesn't appear to share in the mindset of Jesus himself that we read from Paul in Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 3. I'll read it now. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And that's what we're called to be like. But Diotrephes appears to have strayed from that. Next, John writes that Diotrephes does not acknowledge our authority. Or at least that's how the ESV reads. The NIV translation for this reads, will not welcome us. And Cruz notes that the us in will not welcome us, or the are in does not acknowledge our authority, probably refers to John and those in the community who, along with John, remain faithful to the gospel message as it came down to them at the beginning. Essentially saying that John identifies himself as part of this community and this community as part of himself. Thus, John is showing his heart in this way. To reject the people that John requested that Diotrephes welcome is essentially the same as rejecting John himself. He feels and experiences the pain of Diotrephes' actions toward the brothers as if, he had, as if he had been denied hospitality himself. This line of thinking has tons of precedent in the New Testament. Uh, one place we see it um, is Jesus' own words in John 13, verse 20, after he just got done washing the disciples' feet, where he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. This gives us a beautiful picture of the Father's heart, and by extension we see it here in John's heart as well. To receive God's people in hospitality is to receive God himself, and John sees himself as connected with these missionaries, so much so that to refuse to welcome them is to refuse to welcome him. We would do well to have this same mindset of connection among us, to love our brothers and sisters in Jesus is to love Jesus himself. Or another way to think about it, when one member of Door of Hope suffers, we all suffer, and Jesus himself feels it too. Or when one member of the global church suffers, we all suffer. It's a beautiful thing that when you're in God's family, you're never alone regardless of the circumstances that you might find yourself in. Now on to verse 10. 
we see here that John sort of outlines um, Diotrephes' specific behavior, and it consists of four elements. First, Diotrephes is maliciously gossiping about John and his community. Second, he's refusing to welcome the missionaries. Third, he's preventing others from even welcoming them. And then four, he's putting uh, people out of the church who went against him and have welcomed these missionaries who have gone out for the sake of the name. John says that if he comes, he will call attention to what Diotrephes is doing. John seems to say that if he comes, he, he intends to publicly bring this up. Cruz notes in his commentary that this type of action, quote, would be required of the elder, or John, in the culture of the first century Mediterranean world to restore the honor he had lost when Diotrephes spoke evil of him. And speaking of the passage as a whole, Cruz says, this passage is the elders, or John's, culturally required attempt to secure satisfaction. If he did nothing in the face of Diotrephes' actions, he would sacrifice his honor, something which would be a, a serious matter in a culture of shame. Next, we see that Diotrephes refuses to welcome the brothers, the same people that are mentioned earlier in his letter, those who had gone out for the sake of the name. This was another reason why John would have to bring up what he is doing when he came. And Diotrephes' missteps didn't stop there. We now see that he not only wouldn't extend hospitality himself to these traveling missionaries and evangelists, but he also decides to stop those who want to do so and put them out of the church. He insists on his own way, which is in opposition to John's way, and even went so far as not just deny hospitality to these missionaries himself, but he also stopped others from doing so. And if anyone went against him in this matter, it appears that he put them out of the church. This is pretty extreme behavior, and even in Second John, where we saw John warning the church against providing hospitality to false teachers, he doesn't threaten them with being put out of the church, but we see Diotrephes here has chosen to put people out of the church who go against his way. It seems then that John really has no choice but to bring this up publicly, as this type of behavior simply doesn't belong in the Christian community. In summing up this passage, John Stott notes that the root of Diotrephes' extreme behavior was sin. It was putting himself first. Stott writes, Self-love vitiates all relationships. Diotrephes slandered John, cold-shouldered the missionaries, and excommunicated the loyal believers, all because he loved himself and wanted to have the preeminence. Personal vanity still lies at the root of most dissensions in every local church today. And I would add, personal vanity still lies at the root of most dissensions in every relationship today. So in light of this, I think a good place for us to land would be to state the obvious, that there is a little diatrophies in all of us, if we're honest. I have a hard time believing that any of us would go to such extremes as Diotrephes and attempt to put people out of the community who extend hospitality to traveling missionaries who are teaching the truth about Jesus. But the point still hits home for me. Putting yourself first is a serious hindrance to our walk with Jesus and the health of our church community. The root of Diotrephes' behavior is alive in all of us. Perhaps, like me, you might live with a spouse or a roommate, and now that you're at home for 24 hours per day, you're keenly aware of the times that you've put yourself first and it's caused hurt to them. Or perhaps, also like me, there are areas of your heart or your life that whether you're aware of them or not, they're misoriented. They're oriented towards yourself instead of being oriented first toward God and toward others. I think of Jesus' words in the Gospel according to Matthew, where he says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. 
For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? See, Jesus' invitation is to take up our cross, deny ourselves, and follow him. It's an invitation to the good life. We will find true life when we do this, when we deny ourselves and follow in Jesus' way of self-sacrificial, self-giving love, living in union with him. It's there that we'll find peace, joy, it's there that we will find life abundant. If you're a believer in Jesus, then the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of you. And one thing that I'm going to be doing in light of this passage is asking the spirit to illuminate areas of my life where I've put myself first, where things are misoriented. I'd invite you to join me in that. I hope that we can use this letter as a reminder to invite transformation in these areas of our lives as we seek to become more like Jesus, both personally and collectively as a, as a Door of Hope community. May we keep this vision of denying ourselves and following Jesus before us as we love our community, our spouses, our children, our friends, our neighbors, coworkers, and strangers. I'll close in the words of John. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace be to you.